Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am ready. Let's go. Let's go to Louisiana. Well, I don't think that we... Have we been to Louisiana? I don't think we have. When I was researching, it said this just took place in the South at the in the late 19th century. But then I went, that's not accurate because something came up about 1915. No, 1933, Louisiana. Okay, so anyway, then I they started talking about parishes and I went, do any other states have parishes? That's when I figured out it was Louisiana. You're welcome. This week we are doing, based on the novel, the young adult novel, Sounder. 1972 sounder oh the particulars and before we get in wait 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 oh oh yeah my intro oh, so hi oh i stepped all over your intro finally somebody else stepped on something the oldest son of a loving and strong family of black sharecroppers comes of age in depression era south after father is imprisoned for stealing food Sounder. It was released September 24th, 1972, produced by Robert B. Radnitz. He also produced Where the Lilies Bloom, Misty, and Isle of the Blue Dolphins. <laughs> yeah. So a critic, Valerie J. Nelson of the LA Times, says that uh, Radnitz had a reputation as, quote, a maker of high quality movies for children and their parents. I was like, okay. Directed by Martin Ritt, which we've done a couple of his films. He did The Long Hot Summer, HUD, Norma Ray, and Hombre. He, oh. Nerd Alert. He was um, of, from a Jewish family, born in New York in 1914. And he went to school and played football for Elon College in North Carolina. And he found that to be a very stark contrast to the Depression-era South versus his New York City upbringing, and it instilled in him a passion for expressing the struggles of inequality, which makes sense when you look at his work. Um, he also, as we had previously done on other podcasts, he got caught up in the blacklist um, because, you know, he supported, <laughs> in, you know, expressing inequality and how it's wrong, and it seems that that's a common thread because... Anytime you do that, then you're a communist and a socialist. And in those times of the blacklist, then you are blacklisted. And so he supported himself by being a teacher at the actor studio until people came to his senses. And then they were, he was allowed to go back and work. And he worked with the royalty, the king and queen, Joanne Woodward, and our main man, Paul Newman. The screenplay is by Lonnie Elder III. He's an actor, playwright, and screenwriter. He was Bobo in the original Broadway production of A Raisin in the Sun. No. Mm -hmm. And through that, he was inspired by the play's author, Lorraine Hansberry, to turn to playwriting himself. And he wrote the play Ceremonies in Dark Old Men. And that was a runner-up for the Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. And none other than James Baldwin called it the most truthful play he had seen in a long time that's coming from james baldwin and if people aren't familiar with james baldwin there's a great documentary 
on Amazon Prime called I Am Not Your Negro. Go watch that and then take it in that James Baldwin called this play one of the most truthful things he'd ever seen. James Baldwin, don't lie. <laughs> that man, don't lie. Um, he also wrote Melinda, Bustin' Loose, and Sounder Part 2. He was the first African-American male to be nominated for an Oscar in screenwriting. Suzanne wow. DePass was also nominated this same year. So the both of them were the first two African-Americans mm-hmm. to ever be nominated. She wrote Lady Sings the Blues, which also came out in 72. It is based on the novel Sounder by William H. Armstrong. He also wrote Study is Hard Work, Barefoot in the Grass, and the Education of Abraham Lincoln. The music is by Taj Mahal, which I cracked up because my friend Evan was big into Taj Mahal when we were in college. Yeah, so that's how I found out about Taj Mahal. And I'm like, Taj Mahal, the blues man? Yes, he's a famous blues musician. His uh, born name was Henry St. Clair Fredericks Jr. Um, He got the stage name from a dream he had about Mahatma Gandhi, India, and social tolerance. And I thought that that was fascinating. So then he went by Taj Mahal. He also did music for Sounder Part 2. He worked with the Rolling Stones. He did a film score for Brothers. He appeared in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Blues Brothers 2000, and American Epic, among other things. Um, Very vast and long-standing career. Worked with so many people. The director of photography was John A. Alonzo. He's the first American cinematographer of Mexican-American and Latino heritage to be inducted into the American Society of Cinematographers and also their union in Los Angeles. He shot, listen to the movies that this guy shot. Harold and Maude, Lady Sings the Blues, which also came out the same year, Chinatown, The Bad News Bears, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Norma Ray, Scarface, and Steel Magnolias, just to name oh off the highlights. Wow. Yeah. Like, let alone, like, Chinatown in and of itself, that would be all you would need to say. But what a vast storied career that this man had. It was edited by Sid Levin, who the movie after he cut Sounder, the next movie he cut was a little movie by a little upstart filmmaker. The movie was called Mean Streets. The upstart filmmaker is none other than Martin Scorsese. Oh, my gosh. He also cut Nashville, which was a famous Robert Altman film. Sounder Part 2 and Norma Ray, to name a, f- a few others that he I'm did. I'm sorry, there's a Sounder Part 2? Yes, there's a Sounder Part 2. I didn't know that either. It came out in 1976, and the only cast member that is from the original is Taj Mahal. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, everyone else is completely different. So, mm. um, the cast. So, of course... We have American Treasure, Cicely Tyson as Rebecca. Now, here's just a a personal nerd alert for me. Like, to me, Cicely Tyson, because I think one of the first things I saw her in was in that, the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, and Mm -hmm. so she ages into this woman. So for, like, my entire life, like, Cicely Tyson has always been this old woman. 
Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, oh, Sounder, I'm going to get to see like young Cicely Tyson. And so I'm like, man, because, you know, she was a, we'll get into it, but she was like a first a fashion model, like just drop dead, stunningly gorgeous. And so, you know, in this movie, she's a sharecropper's wife and stuff, hard life. But still, I'm just like, wow, man, damn, look at young Cicely Tyson. Oh, my gosh. I did the math on it because I'm like, wait, 72, like Cicely Tyson, she's about the same age as my grandmother. But this isn't 72. Like, this isn't. She's not 20 in this. She's 48 years old in Sounder. Like, either 47, 48. Because her birthday was in December. Damn. This is where the term black Black dog comes from. I'm like, she's 48? Like, she, what? You know, I read that, that some people felt she was too old to have the part. Like because I didn't do the math and it, like it was dawning on me as I'm watching it. I'm like, well, wait, wait a second. But when I did not think like, oh, I thought you know late twenties, early thirties, she's doing this. Yeah, yeah. No, when I did the math and put it together, my mind was blown. And also, this is so. She okay. So she was also in. Although also by the way, she's 15 years older than Paul Winfield. Who looks 15 years older than her. So she was also in Fried Green Tomatoes, The Help, The Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, A Lesson Before Dying. She was in Roots. Most recently, she was in How to Get Away with Murder. Um, Nerd alert. Guys, her parents were immigrants from Nevis. Why does that sound familiar? It's the birthplace of... Alexander Hamilton. Oh. Remember? Yeah, that's where her parents came from. She was discovered by a photographer for Ebony Magazine. Her first feature film role was in Carib Gold in 1956. So she had been doing movies. I tried to film that film, but I couldn't. Yeah, she's do, doing movies. She's do does a lot of TV television shows from 1963 to 1964. There was a show called East Side West Side, and she played the secretary to I think George C. Scott. And at that time, she was the only African American regular cast member on a television show. Wow! Oh, it was just her. And then um, when she and so then you know she gets this. She's working, doing a whole bunch of stuff. Sounder, this is when she really becomes, um, her fame goes up another level because she gets nominated for an Oscar award and she's like 48. It's just crazy. She won a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Play, The The Trip to Bountiful. Yes. When she was 88 years old. Oh my God. And if you look at her, she looked the same as for me. Okay. (laughs) Yes. There's still time for everyone if you can keep it up and look as good as Cicely Tyson. Because look at her when she won the Tony Award at 88, and look at her when she was playing Sounder. She looks the ex- like the exact same. It's insane. Wow. Um, so then we have Paul Winfield, who played Nathan Lee. He starred opposite Diane Carroll in the TV show Julia, which was a real big deal at the time because that was the first television show with a 
um, not only was it a, a black character, it was a black female character that was the lead of the show. Um, he was also in The Terminator, Cliffhanger, and the narrator of A&E's true crime series, City Confidential. So if you're a big City Confidential fan, you know Paul Winfield's voice. Um, Kevin Hooks played David Lee. He's the son. He was also in Aaron Loves Angela. He was Morris Thorpe in the television series The White Shadow. He was also then became a director. He directed Strictly Business, Passenger 57, and 13 episodes and the movie for the television series Prison Break. And he also most recently did an episode of Showtime's The Good Lord Bird, which I recommend. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So he like he went on to become like still going very successful. Doesn't seem to have fallen into the uh, child star traps. Um, We have Taj Mahal as Ike. And I already previously said what he had been in. Um, Janet McLaughlin played Camille Johnson. She was the teacher. She was also in Star Trek, Mary Tyler Moore show, Tick, Tick, Tick. It's like a bunch of television shows. Yeah, she was familiar. Carmen Matthews played Mrs. Boatwright. She was in Butterfield 8, which we did a long oh. time ago. Um, a Rage to Live and Daniel. In 1975, she set up and ran a residential summer camp for disadvantaged children on her 100-acre farm in Connecticut. Well done, Mrs. Boatwright. Mm-hmm. And James Best was the sheriff. He is probably most famous for being Roscoe P. Coltrane in the Dukes of Hazard show. He was yeah. also in the TV show Cheyenne and Flipper. And Cheyenne? Yes. Where will you be sleeping tonight? <laughs> Not going to do it. And like so much, so much television shows. So there are your particulars. Outstanding. Well, we start with a boy and his dad, and they're going coon hunting, and a dog runs up. And the song, Jesus, Will You Come By Here, is playing through the credits. The dog is barking and running running after that coon, and that coon goes up a tree. It's all over now for you, old coon, says Nathan Lee. But uh, sweet meat on the table, but that coon is hissing. Much like the snake was. Um, and Dad misses it. And that coon is off again. Sounder is the dog, we find out, because they call. And he crosses a creek, and the coon goes underground. I don't know what a coon's underground habitat is called. That things that we sh- did not look up, but you can Google. Exactly. And so at first, the father is blaming Sounder because, you know, he just got too old. And in his good days, he would have been on top of that coon. But then um, he takes it all back and he says, you know what? The truth is, I should have gotten that shot. And um, so they go back to the cabin. But David Lee says, no, Pop, like it was really dark. And it was really yes. dark. We're talking... You know, if you've ever been out in the dark where the, away from city and urban life, it gets dark. It gets dark. Um, and so they ain't no dog as good as Sounder, they say. <sighs> At which point, I am I am a balled uh, up. My arms are crossed. 
I am not very I am not being very receptive to this film because I I am trying to keep my emotions and not get invested because I know that this is not going to end well. Um, well, David Lee says something to tease his dad, just a little tease. And boy, dad does not take that well. Mm -hmm. That was bad. Um, and then dad says, David Lee, we were out late tonight. You can stay home from school tomorrow. And he said, but I want to go to school. You lose some of the time what you go after, but you lose all the time what you don't go after. That was the quote that Nathan Lee had said to his son. And so that's the quote that the son says back to the dad why he wants to go to school. Then we meet Miss Rebecca, who is the mother. They are sharecroppers and it's hard times. And she's been working all day on shelling walnuts. Now, when you shell walnuts, there are a lot of, uh, they always remind me, a half a walnut kind of looks like a, a brain because there's all these crevasses in it. Oh, yeah. And if, if you don't get in there and get the shell part out of those crevasses, it's very, very bitter. So the walnut doesn't taste that good. So it's hard to shell walnuts and get them really clean. And so she's been doing this all day. Her fingers are tired and probably cracked. And she, because she is shelling them to take to the general store which is owned by the sharecropper, the owner of the land, mm -hmm. so that whatever you buy in the general store goes against your whatever you bring in. I, with have, the crops. A, I have it in Nerd Alert. I explained sharecropping. Excellent. Excellent. And so David Lee eats a bunch of those walnuts because they don't have anything else to eat. They're hungry. Um, and she's upset because that was, a, that was, you know, a couple pennies worth that he ate. And the dad goes, but he's hungry, but he's hungry. And I didn't come back with any meat to feed my three kids. Exactly. And he felt really bad. So he goes out and Rebecca has a feeling that it's not good. You just know this from her wonderful acting. Where is he? Where did Nathan Lee go? And you we know it from the situation. If they had money, they would have gone and gotten the food. And, and right. so, you know, he's in this position where he has to go shoot for the food and he missed his shot. And now he's in a position where his back is up to against the wall and he's got to feed his family. It's the next day and it's wash day. Reminded me of Erin on her wash day. Mm -hmm. Got the big stick. What's the big stick called? An activator. The activator. Uh, and we find out that there are two other kids. I didn't realize that he had a brother and a sister. And they smell meat cooking. Sausage and ham bones are cooking. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca and Nathan have a very awkward conversation where they don't actually say anything, but they are communicating with each other that um, something... Uh, well, she doesn't want to okay. know. Yeah, she knows that this is not a good situation yeah. but this is not going to end well well david lee is off to school he has to walk six six miles. miles six miles i used to walk a mile to my high school six miles six miles that's gonna take you like three hours well he yeah. ran a lot of it he did um 
I mean, that would take teeny, what, 15 minutes to do six miles? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) She would put three of those miles on her back and carry them with her. (laughs) So um, when David Lee is gone, Rebecca says, where did you go last night? And Nathan Lee says, I did what I had to do. So we know what it was. Well, he's late to school. And does the teacher say anything like, so great to see you. Come in, sit down. Uh -uh. You're late. Well, but I thought that this was interesting because this is 1933. It's true. Which is Go not ahead. 1954, which is when Brown versus the Board of Education desegregated schools. So I was like, oh, how interesting. This is a, a white teacher, mostly white, but white school. But I think if you were in such a position where you were so inclined and you were privileged enough to be able to send one of your kids to not work on the farm and to go to school. That was the closest school where they could go and they were actually allowed to sit in the back. So even though her, yeah, she gave zero fucks about and was probably not in at all impressed that they were in her classroom they were still able to be in her classroom, which I was like, oh, interesting. I was too. I was surprised. Hmm. She was reading Huck Finn. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were three black kids in the back of the... Uh, so it wasn't just David Lee. Mm-hmm. It was a, a couple other children were allowed to sit in there. Well, he gets home and Mama asks him to take the laundry to Mrs. Boatwright. And... <laughs> So he, they do, and Mrs. Boatwright says, "You tell your mama, ain't it Chinaman in the in the road to beat her ironing?" So we had that. <laughs> three Musketeers to David. Yes, yeah, she gave oh, him. She gave him the book, The Three Musketeers. Which do you know who wrote that? The same person who wrote um, the, Count of Monte Cristo? Yeah, the book I'm reading, The Count of Monte Cristo. It's uh, Alexandra Duma. Dumas. Dumas. And he was a black guy. He was a black French guy. Ooh. But he was probably, like, maybe passing. Passing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, she... Okay, so I had a couple feelings about Mrs. Boatwright. At first, I felt like... She felt like she was really liberal in in being kind to these boys and giving uh, the mother her laundry to do for money and giving the kids a little bit. And it was like, you know, yeah, okay, but yeah, you're not helping him get in. Well, she did help him, with not with education, but she gave him a book. And then I came around, Mrs. Boatwright comes out okay. As okay oh. as she can. As okay as giving her circumstances. Right. Okay. So then they're running to a baseball game because um, I guess the sharecroppers have two teams and they play each other in baseball. And and the daddy is the pitcher and his team wins. They call him Speedball because he has such a fast pitch. And oh my gosh, everybody's having so much fun. And they're going home and they're happy and they're singing and I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop because you know they can't have this much fun without a repercussion. (laughs) And gosh dang it, if when they are coming up upon their little shack that they get to live in, if there aren't 
two white men in front of the house. And then a third one comes out of the house with some food that James had taken from somebody's smokehouse to feed his hungry family. Sheriff Young, take him to jail. Well, so they, uh, there is a deputy sitting in the back of the pickup truck with Nathan Lee and Sounder is running behind barking, barking, barking. Don't take, don't take dad away. So what does the deputy do? He points his shotgun at Sounder. He's going to shut him up. And Nathan Lee kicks him so that his shot misses, but it still hits Sounder, grazes his face. And this is when I got mad. I knew. I knew. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, I was like, we're 30 minutes in and we are already killing the the namesake of this film? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. So Sounder runs off. And David Lee can't find him. He is going everywhere, calling for Sounder, looking for Sounder, and he can't find him. Well, Rebecca is um, getting ready to go to town to check on Daddy. So David Lee is left in charge of the two little kids, and the three of them just watch from the road. Am I the only one who, at this point, is very mad because the, the guy shot Sounder? But then I'm like, oh, my gosh, Nathan Lee is being taken away by these white men because he got caught stealing his family. And I'm like, I'm really feeling very bad for Sounder. But is is Nathan Lee about to end up strange fruit? Like, yeah, they are they going to they're going to lynch the dad. And then they get out. I went from, oh, man, I'm, I'm so bummed about the, this is a movie about a do- dog being killed to, like, are we going to, like, go through a lynching right now? So, yeah, it, it was. Go ahead, TD. Well, like, no, I don't have anything else other <laughs> to say than yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, it was all just. I knew when they were having so much fun at that baseball game, it was all going to come to Well, and it was down. also bad because. Rebecca was like, come on, Sheriff, like, you know him. Like, it wasn't just, like, the stri- the Sheriff came and they don't know anything about him. Like, oh, we heard you stole. Like, they knew each other. And he knew, right. like, this was a good man. And, like, he and- knew their situation. And he still was like, no, we're arresting him and I'm going to shoot your dog. Yeah. yeah. And it's the, like, the Sheriff, if the Sheriff is not the landowner, which I don't know who the landowner is, yeah, I definitely like knows who the landowner is and knows that these people work their fingers to the bone off to do this sharecropping. And I'll get to it in Nerd Alert to explain it and know that it is, why is he in the position where he can't afford to put food on his family? Right. And, and he's working that hard. Yeah. So David Lee is splitting logs. I mean, there is never a time when David Lee is not doing something to help out. Uh, He has to keep the fire going. They have corn mush to eat. Um, And Rebecca's in town, and she goes to the sheriff's office. And the sheriff won't let her see Nathan, because visiting days are only Sunday Sunday. and holidays. But um, women aren't ever allowed to visit, and especially women of color. So... She goes all that way, and she can't see her husband. I'll let you know the day of the trial next week. She says to him, 
You got you a low-life job, Mr. Sheriff. So then she goes to the grocer with her walnuts, and she gets a dollar twenty for them. But but the grocer says no more credit, and she starts buying all these supplies with her dollar twenty. And I thought she was gonna bake a chocolate pie. Oh, but it wasn't a chocolate pie. So they talk about Nathan, and the grocer says, "I've been good to y'all." How are you going to crop for me with Nathan in jail? So the grocer's he, the landowner. Yes, that's right. If he ain't home, uh, the children and me will do the cropping because we owe you all that money. So they're working their fingers to the bone and they still owe the landowner money. Okay, it's a chocolate cake she made. So... Um, David Lee just keeps asking, do you think Sounder's dead? Sounder's not dead, is he? And the mama goes, no, he just ran off to heal himself. He'll be back. And I'm going, no, they named the movie Sounder. He can't be dead. Not already. Well, we have the trial. And he is accused of unlawful trespass and robbery. And so he gets a year of hard labor for trying to feed his family. For them working. So the children and Rebecca are going to just for that year have to do all the all the cropping and all the um, stuff uh, on their own. And they're still calling for Sounder. Um, the children and Rebecca go into town and they take the chocolate cake because David Lee, as a male, can go in to visit Papa. So um, they go into the sheriff's office and the deputy pokes holes all in the cake to make sure that she hasn't baked, you know. Rude. A nail file. You know, the, the it was funny in the sense that you, those Mary Medley cartoons, the Looney Tune cartoons, they always bake the nail file into the right. cake. But then it's like, really? He's a, he's a black man. Like, you know where he is. It's not like he can escape. Oh, you can't hear the, the sawing. And how right many there. years would it take to saw through yeah. those bars? Um, so the, the cake is all messed up. I expected the, the deputy to take a piece of it. And you know, he was going to eat the icing that came off of that knife as soon as David Lee was gone. So, um, David Lee gets to go in and see Daddy, and it has been 40 minutes. Nice. In my new Gone with the Bushes journal. So now we are to uh, POC and cast. Well, I just did Power of Cast. I didn't do a POC cast. Because there was was white people, there was black people, and there was an unfortunate reference to a Chinaman. So, man. Yes, there was. Asian Americans... I am sorry. Damn. Like, just the way that Hollywood has done y'all. Oh, my God. Um, okay. Well, the whole movie was cast. Right. I have the... There's criticism. Okay, so... Spoiler alert. If you want to go see Sounder and everything, go, this is... Okay, pause. Come back to us because it's going to get spoiled. Okay. One of my things was... When I did the research... Of finding out that the um, well, ah, sorry, there was rewind. criticism. Yeah, rewind. Blah, 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 blah. There was criticisms of the book 
And one of the criticisms of the book was that it reinforced the idea of self-help and limited non-material advancements were sufficient to ameliorate, which I had to look up, and ameliorate means to make better, were sufficient to ameliorate structural poverty in the American South. I was like, oh, yeah, because it does kind of, uh, like, I kind of get that. So there, there's that. Um, I There was also the power of caste when one of the, thing, I think when the children and the, fam- the whole family comes to visit and they're in town, how Martin Ritt framed the shot where there's a base of a statue. Mm-hmm. And... So usually, you know, they would be in the center of the frame, but the base of the statue takes up about a third of the frame, and you can just see the base. You don't see what the statue is. It's just the base, and you can just see see how it says, loving tribute to Confederate soldier. And so, you know, it's just the whole thing, of like, this is the South, and did did the Confederacy die at, in the Civil War? Um, oh, no. <laughs> well, it might have, but then it was reborn. Right. And yeah, and that's what sharecropping is. And Variety called, so then, you know, when this movie came out, it was it came out in 1972, and Variety said, quote, for good or of ill, singled out, or, or for good or ill, singled out to test whether the black audience, and they're talking in reference to the film, whether the black audience will respond to serious films about the black experience rather than the super black exploitation features. So this one, you know, you had things like Shaft and The Mac, right. you know, these black exploitation films, and then you had this film like Sounder. But I think that that's very uh, cast-ish yes. on the Variety because this film is coming out and how like any film comes out and it has a cast of black people, it's how our black audience is going to react to it. How is it? How well is it going to do with the black audience? And we saw it with the whiz also when this Mm -hmm. sounder, this is an American story. It should just be how our audience is. It's just very presumptuous of the variety to be like, well, this is a black story. So only it's only going to pertain to black audiences and only black audiences are, it's, how well is it going to do with them? Because it's just a foregone conclusion that white audiences are not at all interested in this film or anything that has to do with black characters. And right. it's also, that's something that goes on to this day because... That's what I was going to say. They, that was always, has always been Hollywood's thing is that, well, black, black film stars, they don't play in the world. Like, they don't do big world box office. Asia doesn't like black stars and all of this stuff. And that's not what we're seeing when you look at films like Black Panther. And there was something else that I heard. It was some interview with somebody and, and they like, oh, it was um, Anthony Anderson and Blackish. And how they're always told like, oh, black stuff doesn't go. But, you know, look at like the NBA and what the NBA is doing in China and all these other markets and these people who they, they love. Look at... You can see the influence of black culture in K-pop of what the, you know, these bands and stuff and the music that it's doing. So mm-hmm. there is like that influence is there. And it's not that, that people that that was just a cast of like, oh, no, it's it's for them. So they don't want it. And Anthony Anderson was like, I've gone to all of these places where people just know blackish and it's not even being shown on the networks there and they find it through streaming through like these pirated channels and they just all these people come up to me 
because they see they see what everybody who isn't white has always done with all of Hollywood films is that is to see the universal human representation of like you know like if you're like me when we said it when we see like you know gone with the wind and stuff like i'm watching this movie and i'm not like oh these are just a bunch of white people it doesn't have anything to do with me like my whole life i've been trained to like put myself in in these people's shoes and like watch it and to do the extra work and it's and it's just like things like this variety of making like oh no what but white people can't do that when everybody else has been doing that with Hollywood all around the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, the power of cast comes in with the sheriff and the judge. Mm-hmm. Because the sheriff has to answer to the judge. And with the sheriff and Mrs. Boatwright. Yes. So there there was other um, cast, white on white cast. Christine, you have anything? No, I think you guys had it. Thank you so much. So now we are to nerd alerts. Okay. So nerd alerts, these are for 1972, which this film... Again, the 70s. Yeah, the 70s, wild. So 1972, but it takes place in 1933, so that's a 39-year difference. So that would be like, if we're in 2021 now movie that is made depicting 1982 wow so you know a lot of people who are going to the theater in 72 they really remember 1933 it isn't that far off you know right okay 1972 the first scientific handheld calculator comes out it's 395 dollars i thought you were gonna say pounds no, handheld. Well, that's handheld for you, TD, but not all of us are. Yeah, exactly. You could hold it. <laughs> um, so three hundred ninety-five dollars in nineteen seventy-two is the equivalent of two thousand five hundred three dollars thirty-four cents in today. Really? So basically, what the iPhone thirteen? <laughs> I'm guessing. Joke. Um, Shirley Chisholm. <laughs> Shirley Chisholm was the first African American congresswoman. Announces that she's running for president. Nineteen seventy-two. And what, way to go, Shirley. What can you, that's just a great uh, what if? <laughs> like just, like just what oh, if? She was just so dismissed. Yeah. But she represented, and she was the, she was on TV running for president, and people were going, "Ain't no way!" But at least her face was there. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, she was the first. She wouldn't be the last. Mm-hmm. Um, the Irish Bloody Sunday occurred, and that was when the British Army killed 14 unarmed civil rights marcher- marchers in Derry, Northern Ireland. And so during this times in that part of the world, we have what's called the Troubles, which yes. It's not funny, but it does make me laugh that they refer to that whole thing as the Troubles. It's a very British and oh, I like British friend. It's just very like, oh, the Troubles. <laughs> like then you go and read about it, and you're like, this this seems a little bit more than just tr- Troubles, but okay, <laughs> Troubles seems very quaint for what occurred. Um, oh, Stone Mountain was completed. 
That's oh, uh, that's Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson. They got their own like Mount Rushmore treatment, and that was completed in Georgia, 1972. Yay! Yay. Georgia, the wind blew. So, so maybe, maybe we'll put Stacey Abrams up there. <laughs> uh, um, The Godfather premiered. 1972. Yeah. The Equal Rights Amendment, known as the ERA, that was sent to the states for ratification. And the Equal Rights Amendment, it would have said that um, regardless, that you get equal, all Americans get equal rights regardless of sex. Uh, Or, you know, what your gender is and stuff. Gender. (laughs) Regardless of how much sex you have. Regardless of how much sex you have and what sex you... um, Wherever on be. the spectrum you want to put yourself. Exactly. So 72. Yeah, And it was never ratified. Yeah. So if you, spoiler alert, yeah, never ratified. Um, but if you want to know more about that, you can watch on FX or Hulu a show, a series called Miss America, which show, and Shirley Chisholm's a part of it. And mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett plays the villain in it. And. A lot of it is you can, again, find out, oh, this is why we are where we are. Yeah, there was a huge women's movement and really had a lot of... A lot of momentum. And, and was yeah. intersectional and was really... And then this this one woman, Phyllis Shafley, was like, well, wait a second. Hold on. It, this Equal Rights Amendment is going to harm us housewives and it's going to make it so that women get drafted into the military. And that was enough to put the kibosh on being treated equally. This was the same period of time where they were saying, if you wanted to keep your marriage healthy, you needed to, as the, as the housewife, okay. you needed to, you know, keep your, your love life interesting. And, and so you should wrap yourself naked in saran wrap. And meet your husband at the door. I don't think I can afford that. (laughs) (laughs) And meet your husband at the door wrapped in saran wrap? Yes. Naked underneath? Yes. Yes. I don't. And who could even get it? And then what happens then? They look like, (laughs) you know how hard it is to get saran wrap off? That's what I'm saying. You you would be in serrated wrap in your coffin. And the way that I sweat, oh my god, I would stink so bad. I'd have to go take a shower. I know, but that was supposed to be like but, the yeah. But is this was that like the I like Phyllis Shafley is telling people because that seems a little like. But hey, I guess like it's always the people that you least expect who are into well, like yeah. But it was, the, you know, each side had their straight line people. And then there were the, the offshoots that could be a little militant. So those were the uber housewives, who were the uber Karens, who were like, this is how to keep your love life s- sexy and fresh. Those, yeah. And then, yeah. was it like swinging the thing? They were, you would oh, put your yeah. like car well, keys into bowls and stuff. And well, I don't know about that. I I was never a part of that. You're doing Thank the you. mescaline. In '72, yes, but not. 
I wasn't married yet. So we'll move on from there. Gosh, I'm never going to get rid of that. All right. Well, it's just fun to say, mescaline. It is. <laughs> so it just sticks in the head. Here's one for you, Teeny. The, um, this was the first Boston Marathon where women could participate. 72. Yeah, wow. 1972. Um, also, 72 was when all Watergate started happening. Yeah, yeah the break in, sure all of that kind of stuff. The Price is Right premiered in 1972. Really? I feel like it had been on forever. Yes. Um, there was a bank hostage situation that happened, and those events were dramatized in the feature film Dog Day Afternoon. That happened in real life in 1972. And, you know, it wouldn't be me if I didn't end on a downer, the nerd alert. Oh, no, but I, I won't. I'll pick it back up when I talk about the films. But 1972, 11 Israeli athletes were murdered oh, at the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich. So We saw that. We saw where the athletes were staying. We saw the building. Yeah, and did they do like a, a nice, nice classy German tribute? The, the Germans, you know, say what you will about their past discretions, and there's a lot to say, but they do <laughs> know how to do a nice memorials. They have all of the they, stones of like from this place. Oh yeah, I just started, I just finished reading Cast this mm -hmm. week. Um, I had to take a little bit of time off just so I could pay attention. You know, wanted to make sure I could. I was giving it my full attention. They really, I mean, I was very impressed by when they were talking about how, like, Germany is, like, reparations. We're going to give some good monuments, all the stones. I love the stone idea. Mm -hmm. And if you have a Nazi flag, you're in jail. Yeah. Yep. I mean, just flat out, no. Good luck trying to find where Meanwhile, we still do forced labor. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, exactly. And the stones, if you, if you are unfamiliar, there are stones on the sidewalks that say, hey, from this spot, a family of Jewish people or whoever, because it wasn't just Jewish people, but, you know, mostly like a family was taken up from here and murdered. And right. there are all these like remembrance stones placed about the city. And so, you, you know, you'll just be walking and just be like, ah, I'm German. I'm German. And you look down and be like, oh, man, never again. Never yeah. forget. And when they were talking about uh, in like the really busy part of town where they have the archway or something where this is like this is where a, everyone would get on their the trains or the cars to go to the concentration camps mm -hmm. like right in the middle of town yeah they, they, so you're reminded every day right i mean like that's prime i believe it's in berlin maybe what we're talking about maybe we're talking about something differently but there is something in like a big city prime real estate that they're like nope this is just gonna be a space of reflection where you just yeah. go and sit and reflect upon like this happened which happens in america only if the white people care about it. Like right. the 9-11 memorial is very nice. A very yes. nice place of reflection. But what else do we have? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, you know, it, it, it's, it, yeah, yeah. So the top films of 1972, I had to go with seven because the seventh film, 
of this is box office gross i, I was like oh 1970s what's the catchphrase of this show we're wild the seventh top grossing film of 1972 was deep throat <laughs> yeah number seven so all of these films i'm about to say made more money than deep throat which i mean it's not too often i do these and i look up and i'm like oh in the top 10 is a uh porn film which you know what now this could probably air on nbc at 10 p.m exactly. <laughs> exactly. i haven't seen it but i'm just like mm, i'm pretty sure i haven't either i have not seen it that you can remember mescaline <laughs> not not even in an inebriated state i never saw it okay so number six is cabaret which we well, did maybe that'll change oh <laughs> we could be doing a wild <laughs> We oh, can can have you, a month oh of my portal. gosh! Oh my gosh! That, oh my gosh! Hey, that's what happens when you invite Christine to be part of the podcast. <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, okay, BRB. I gotta go research my new movie for next week. Oh great! Oh man! Okay, number five. Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, I remember Jeremiah Johnson. That was Robert Redford. Mm -hmm. Number four, Deliverance. Oh, God, that was popping. That was our first date. <laughs> we'll have to our do Deliverance then. Deliverance. We'll have to do it. Um, we didn't realize. <laughs> What's Up Doc was number three. Really? Yeah, I want to do What's well, Up Doc. Well, it's Streisand, yeah. still. And no, uh, Ryan... What, what, Ryan O'Neill? Is that his name? Oh, was he in What's Up Talk? Yeah, okay. the guy that's in Paper Moon. Number two, The Poseidon Adventure. Oh. And the number one box office movie of the year, 1972, big surprise, The Godfather. The Godfather. Okay, so now we're into sharecropping. I got this information from PBS.org, and sharecropping, the subtitle is... Slavery by another name. <laughs> I was just going to say. Because it is. Probably learning about this in school, sharecropping doesn't sound that bad. Just by the name. Right. Yes. Right. Like, why? Like, it's very not. They give you some land. Like, I feel like we should rename the land. Probably rename it. <laughs> it needs a rebrand. Right. There's no share in it. Yeah, yeah. Like, sharecropping sounds pleasant. <laughs> well. As PBS nailed, it's slavery by another name. So, after the Civil War, there were two things. You had the former slaves who needed jobs, and you had the uh, landowners and the planters who needed laborers. Now, it's important, again, to reiterate that the former slaves... Um, you know, for a long time, most places, it was illegal to teach them how to read. Yes. Not, you know, no education. So it, it's not exactly as if they can just fire up the old uh, LinkedIn and just say all of these qualifications that they have. It's like, well, what are your qualifications? Well, I was a slave. My freedom was taken from me and I was forced to work in the fields for other people. What would you be good at? 
Uh. <laughs> Working in the fields mm. for other people. And, you know, the planters now, they had all of this land. And they're like, well, it's not going to farm itself. So, and then also because it was in the South and, you know, they had lost the war. Um, there wasn't, there was an absence of cash. And there also wasn't, as it wasn't an independent credit system. So that led to the creation of the new form of slavery, which is like, uh, well, I guess we have to, I guess we have to pay them for their work. So the landowners and in the PBS thing, it says landowners slash planters, they would basically allow tenants. So the former slaves could stay on the land because this was the land that they worked. And a lot of people had, like, they didn't know anything else, you know? So there were a bunch of people who were like, I am getting the fuck out of here. But there were also a lot of people who were like, this is what I know. So it would allow them to be tenants and to use the land in exchange for a share of the crop, which like, yeah. as Christine said, it sounds it great. It sounds great. As long as like, uh, everybody's on the up and up, but, um, <laughs> spoiler alert, this is America. So the landlord, the landowners, they would lease equipment. So they're leasing it. So, it, so they're like, all right, well, here's some equipment. Here's Rent some tea. seed, some fertilizer and food and etc and it's all on credit so they don't have the the means to buy it themselves but it's like all right well i'm the landowner you're gonna work this so here i'm gonna give it to you but i'm writing down everything that you are taking from me and then when the harvest season comes then the sharecropper would come back with the harvest that they had done from the land and then they would come back to me if i was the landowner and i'd be like all right all right, excellent. So I will give you $500 for this. But I gave, I, there was a, you know, $100 for this equipment, plus the cost of this seed, plus, you know, you had that little thing that you had to feed your family. So, um, well, it looks like you owe me $100. Right. So I'm just going to roll this $100 over to your, when you bring in your next share crop. And then they're like, all right, well, I need the seeds. I need the fertilizer to make that happen. So then that gets added up. So you, hey, as you can see, what could go wrong? What could go wrong, right? So on top of that, they had interest rates. So you know that these interest rates were outlandish. So there was interest rates, unpredictable harvest, you know, good old-fashioned caste system and greed in place. Um, and also it wasn't exactly as if, if I was a sharecropper and I'm doing this land and I don't like the deal that my owner's given me, it was oftentimes illegal for me to even try to sell what I grew right anywhere else. So there isn't even, it's not even like, we're not even, this isn't even capitalism. Like the, right. there, there is no like, oh, let the markets decide. It's like, no, you are forced to sell it to this person and this person. Like, it's a luck of the dice. And you have to just hope that you have a sharecropper who is a, a landowner who's on the up and up. And they weren't. So here's an interesting fact. Two thirds of all sharecroppers were white. Oh. Mm-hmm. Never knew that. But they were also at the bottom of the cast. 
Of the white cast. Well, of course. No, well, of the caste system of America, they're down at the bottom, but they're not the bottom because right. <laughs> they're right. like, well, but wait, but uh, <laughs> you know, hey, I, I at least got that going for me. But, you know, they're still getting treaded on by the man. Like, it's still unfair and it's still this. It's not exactly as if sharecropping was the. Yeah, I know. So my grandma and my great great grandparents were sharecroppers. Right. Yeah. That's on Calumet Farm. Yeah, like that's that's what you would do. Um, But they started organizing, and they came up with the Southern Tenant Farmers Union, and that gained power. So (laughs) eventually, somebody came to the thing of like, you know what? kind of all in the same boat and like there's a third of us where we we could look down on but like if we kind of like all get together we can kind of be like this isn't working and so then there was that that started to come together but then also like the great depression happened and the landowners that you know were high on the hog and stuff kind of came back down to reality also you had um mechanization so machines started coming into effect um, a lot of other things during this time. This is what we refer to or hear about as the Great Migration. So a lot of people, a lot of Black people who are down in the South, are like, "No, nope, I'm done with this humidity and this bullshit, <laughs> and I am heading north." And then they got to the north, and it was like, "Oh, there's still humidity. <laughs> there's there's, and there's still bullshit. There's still humidity, <laughs> and there's still bullshit. Except it's it's cloaked in this like, look at all we're doing. We're, yeah, just yeah, bullshit by another name. So, yeah, that was that was sharecropping. It, it wasn't, and it it kind of goes into the whole line. So so Nathan Lee is a sharecropper. Slavery by another name. He's doing all this work. Can't afford to feed his family when he's farming, which even he says in the movie, it don't make sense. He has to steal to support his family. He ends up going to where? A work camp, which is just slavery. So free labor. Yep. Well, I have minor alert mm-hmm. on labor camp. Okay. Um, not too much on it, just because we talked about it a lot when we watched the 13th. Um, and kind of like the history with that, but what I found interesting, when does this movie take place? 1933. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but so on Wikipedia, they have a really good page about penal labor in the United States. Um, and it separates it into years. So like they have a section on prison labor post 13th amendment from 1865 to 1866, um, and then prison labor in the Reconstruction era, 1866 to 1867, and in that section, and then, like, it goes on to higher convict labor, and, like, we know that we still have that, um, but it talks about in the South, so Louisiana was where this movie takes place, was big on leasing out their convicts so or leasing out prisoners so you were if you were in prison you could be leased out to 
basically slaveholders to um, make you do work. They were responsible for paying for food and all of that, but you basically released out to be a slave for these people. Um, But also in, oh man, what year was this? I think it was in 1877 was in Mississippi, the pig law came about, which um, it classified any theft theft of any property worth $10 or more as grand larceny. Wow. Which of course, $10, I mean, $10 in 1877. Uh, I didn't do the math on that. <laughs> uh, but here we go. We're Googling now in 1877 worth today. <laughs> $2,400. So a little bit more now, but either way, that's not a lot. And it was punishable up to five years of prison. So I thought that was applicable because he was arrested for stealing like a little bit of meat. They didn't even have that much meat. It wasn't like he mm-hmm. went he, he to a farm. Yeah, yeah, like it wasn't like he stole like a whole farm's worth of stuff. Like he right. stole enough even meat to feed his family for a day. He took a ham bone. Yeah. yeah. But so that was prison. Like he was sentenced to a labor camp for a year. But with the pig law, you could be sentenced to incarceration for up to five years. Which, and this is sad because this guy shouldn't, you know, like, what, whatever. But in my head, I'm just like, oh, they're just going to hang him. Like, because also... I really thought they were just going to lynch him. Yeah, because also it's not like... the And it's not like I'm coming out of this from left field of like, how, why would you think that? I would think that because... They didn't need any excuse because to those that sheriff, even though he knew who who Nathan Lee was, he shot Sounder. He shot a dog and he thought they they were on the same length, like in his in the in the sheriff's mind, shooting a dog would be the same as because they are the same in his warped, him, uh, yeah it's not man. he doesn't look at these as as black people as real people. Um, well, on my, on my Facebook feed, there was a um, Audra Day singing "Strange Fruit." Oh yeah, because she's in a movie where she plays Billie Holiday. Oh wow, uh, yeah, very powerful. Um, any other nerd alerts? Because I'm gonna take a turn here. Turn. Okay, turn okay. it. We're gonna go to raccoons. Because we've had an issue with raccoons in our really? backyard. Really? I just really love raccoons. You love them? Oh, okay. I love raccoons. I get when raccoons I like... and possums confused in my head. Raccoons are so adorable looking. Oh, I love but... possums too. <gasps> Their tails are like disgusting. Oh my god, we huge had rat one tails. in Jersey. We had one that lived on our apartment. His name was Harry. Oh, and he no, was he there... didn't live in your apartment. Oh, no, he lived on our apartment. Like, he lived outside <laughs> every night when I would come home. Because I used to get home from work at, like, 1 in the morning. Are we, wait, are we talking about a raccoon wa- or a possum? A possum. Oh, wow. They're so okay, ugly. yeah. No, but they're great. They they are amazing. They're good They for are pets. good cleaner-uppers. They carry their babies on their backs. Yeah. Their but babies he are... Harry lived on our, like, on our apartment. He would be sitting on the windowsill every night. He stayed there for months. 
Their babies are so cute. I did mm -hmm. when I used awesome to. Awesome baby? Yes, when I used to mm -hmm. run outside. This is sad, but um, I came across like dead possum babies and they were adorable, but it was sad because they were dead. It's but like they were baby so baby mice. Yeah, but they were, yeah, they were so adorable. But then when I come across the possums when I'm running, it's their tail. It's their yeah, it's hairless rat tail, yeah, rat tail that freaked me tail. out. That I'm like, ah. Okay, the Christine, coons. do you know that we had baby possums in our attic? No, possums, raccoons. Oh, and my we God. Yeah, that we had to cute. have a guy come out, and he um, had to use the infrared to find out where they were because the mom had come in through the vent on the, on the roof, and he was able to get all but one of them. They were so cute, but he said if we ever came upon their mama, Whew, she would tear all of us up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, when I was a when I was a child, my dad used to tell me stories about Rocky the raccoon. I thought he was real, but I think he just made them up. Was but, he a Beatles so, song? Yeah, it was. My dad's a big Beatles fan. Ah. So I think it was based off of that. So I've been a huge raccoon fan all my life, um, and then. One uh, when we lived in Jersey City, I'd never really seen one in real life. But when we lived in Jersey City, one day I was going to work, and it was the first time I had to be at work at five a.m. So I'm going to work at like four fifteen in the morning, Damn. and mm -hmm. I'm like, keys out, box cutter, <laughs> phone on nine one one, stuffed in my bra. Let's do this. Yeah, that's what you do. And I heard a noise, and I was like, not today. And I turned around, and I just saw two raccoons, like, walking on their back legs, oh. leaving a trash can. Like, they're, they were walking like human beings. What? So then we saw, we, had, I, we saw them in Jersey City all the time, and I was like, that's so weird. I didn't know raccoons lived in the city. Mm -hmm. And then just a few weeks ago... We had a raccoon in our backyard in Brooklyn, and Tommy, like, chased it away. You should have seen this thing run up a tree. This tree, Adam, how big is that tree? 20 feet high? Definitely. At least 20 feet high. This thing just ran right up, like, no big deal. And so cute. So I was intrigued by raccoons. So then I looked them up. Where did I get this information from? haveaheart.com <laughs> so I'm sure it's accurate but <laughs> it sounds very very legit yeah they are it says they are savage fighters yes with sharp sharp teeth and piercing claws they eat anything they can find like Tommy um they, Tommy's basically a, they're trash they're trash boys <laughs> they live near bodies of water and preferably somewhere where love trees uh and they <laughs> live in dens and they acclimated well to the urban sprawl uh and they like like they tend to live on the city's edge like if they could find some trees but they'll travel through storm drains and sewers mm -hmm. to find trash and dumpsters for food because they'll literally eat anything and, uh, they, and they are so dex, de, dexter their dexterity is so amazing yeah like they we, they have hands we, they like humans 
we would um, when we lived on Berwick Court. I I remember throwing trash away in tin foil back then. I used tin foil a lot, and you'd go out the next morning and find it just open, <laughs> precisionly open, so they could get into whatever was inside there. Well, they and well, like I read that the young ones. They live in the trees for a few months with their mom until they can go out and find their own food. But, like, if they're in danger, they just crawl up a tree and try to find a hole, which is exactly what this one did. Uh-huh. And they sleep anywhere. Like, they're fine to sleep anywhere. And they don't even go back to their own den. They, like, frequently just switch dens. They're like, oh, okay, another raccoon was here last night. That's fine. I'm going to live here now. They're like they hobos. They don't care about that. <laughs> <A hostel. laughs> raccoon hostels. Yeah. However, um, we have some in uh, Arlington. We have a, a bunch of raccoons that are rabid right now. Uh, oh, yeah. You don't want ra- you don't want a, a rabid raccoon. So if you see a raccoon dogs, rabies shot. in the daytime, is that like a bad thing? Like are they are raccoons nocturnal? They're mostly nocturnal. Yeah, you. I've never seen a raccoon in the daytime. But if you would, you'd be like, "That's a rabid." Well, raccoon. you can, but if they if they are extremely aggressive. Or if they're acting sick, you have to stay away from. Like, well, this is a a raccoon may live in a tree one night and relocate to your attic the next night. Yeah, and have their babies up there. Um, But they were saying people in Arlington before they let their small dogs and cats out to shake like a can with some marbles in it to scare anything away because they will take your your pet. But does that scare a rabid raccoon? I, I just kind of like, I'm crazy. I don't I'm care. <laughs> I Probably don't, not. I ain't scared of you. Fully, yeah. If it's fully involved with rabies, probably not. But we had raccoons tear up our backyard uh, for grubs. Oh, yeah. they, that's, oh. it wasn't the grubs that tore up the backyard. It was the raccoons that raccoons were searching. Who would just like, um, what is it when you have grass that you lay down? Like seeding, Mulch. sodding? Sod. Oh. They would just roll up the grass as if it were sod and and get the get the grubs underneath. And our then whole they, backyard. But then they wouldn't there. just unroll it. It seems like the, all we need to do is then just train the raccoons to just, just be a little if bit more polite. Just that, unroll I'd it. I'd be okay with it. But they well, did it. The Humane Society says if you see a raccoon during the day, don't panic. They're not necessarily sick or dangerous. <laughs> it's perfectly normal for them to be active throughout the day. They they may be foraging longer hours to support their young, visiting a garden while the dogs are indoors, or moving to a new location. But what is the like? Don't panic. I guess what I guess it's what their definition of panicking is because I see any sort of wild animal on my. I mean, this is. My yeah. before life when I was out in the streets, but I it was a, a thing of like, oh, I'm going this way, <laughs> you're going right. that way. Like, I like, I'm not sticking around to see, I didn't stick around to be like, is that raccoon acting strangely? Is it aggressive? I don't stick around long enough to be able to answer said questions. <laughs> no, yeah. they are adorable, and those babies were so cute, but you know. They gotta go. They can't stay in the attic. But if you do get bit by a raccoon, rabies is very serious. Yeah, oh, yes. you gotta go get those shots. I think yeah. you get bit by are... anything. Yeah, painful shots and 
Okay. That was supposed to be their dinner. If if he had shot the raccoon, we wouldn't have had a book or a movie or a sound or two. I didn't look up eating raccoons, but... You know, I'm like... Please, Rebecca would have made it taste fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I would have gone for a deer if it were me, but it's fine. I think you, I think you get what you can get. Yeah, right, right, and that's probably more meat than a squirrel. Well, I there there is a family in our neighborhood who eats squirrel. I mean, you know, so it's a it meat. would seem like you'd have to have a lot of squirrels to make a a big enough meal for your family. Yeah, but hey, would have fed. people who can live off the land. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. Well done. I mean, you know what? If if we're being honest, when I was watching this movie, you know, they shot Sounder, and I knew that Sounder wasn't was Sounder was going to come back, and then I got really dark of where I thought it was going, and I'll just say it. I thought that it was going to come to a thing where they were going to have to kill Sounder to feed the family. <gasps> yep, that's where my mind went. Wow. This is this is what oh, America man. has done to me. I mean, because they were like, yeah. we, you know, we don't like we could. It's them. They can't make the, the harvest. So they don't get the to. There's no more credit. And it's all down to, to Rebecca, Cicely Tyson. And her children are starving, and it's the, you know, the family dog, and she doesn't want to have to do it, but that's me. Well, thank goodness that didn't happen. Oh, my gosh. I was so, like, I love this movie. (laughs) When it didn't go down that road, I was like, this is a fantastic film. Oh, my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, because I was just like, whoa, this is okay, dark. Okay, so reheatables, good one. They didn't eat Sounder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe I had that, too. <laughs> I have... Okay, Wait, you're doing uh, the good ones or the bad ones? We usually bad go ones, the bad, bad ones. ones okay. But I just thought that was, you know, me and my humor. Comedy. Mm. Okay, I'm going to say a bad one was going to the pond to wash out his, his cut hand. You know, washing yeah. it out in the pond. Bacteria. I did wonder. I was like, that that water does not seem to be moving. Is this a good idea? Yeah. Okay. Other um, negative reheat. Well, I of course had shooting the dog, and free labor. But you know, other than those, <laughs> other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. Which, <laughs> other than the whole like American caste system and slavery by another name. What did you exactly, exactly. Does anybody else have a reheatable? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to go, Teeny, or do you want me to go? Oh, for my negatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the first one I wrote is Chinaman. Yeah. Yes. I said Huck Finn, question mark. Yes. I don't know. The Huck Finn, it's... I don't know much about... I don't remember. I think I read the spark notes on that. Like, I didn't pay attention. Exactly. But there's a... Well, the thing with Huck Finn is that it it falls into the this is why we can't have nice things. I'm sorry. We We have to get better... As a society and as a people and as a, a reckoning, and then we can have Huck Finn back in. I don't think th- like it's kind of one of these things where, like you, 
you didn't eat your vegetables and now you want to have your cake. It's like, no, you need to eat your vegetables before you're allowed to have your cake. That's where I put Huck Finn. We go ahead, Ma. Um, What were you going to say? Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to say something okay. about... Because it's it's there's a black character in there. There's a lot of the N-words being thrown around. A lot, okay. a lot And so it, it's just, like, obviously, as we've seen... I think in, they left that. I don't think that was in the spark notes, so... <laughs> I'm sure when you were in school, they would have, you know... Yeah. Yeah, it's just a boy and having yeah. just fun. Yes. Um. Maybe if I'd actually read the book, I would have remembered that <laughs> I wasn't walking, a reader back then. Yeah, no. Um, I put walking six miles to work, but I guess I'm at school. <laughs> but yes, yeah, school work. It Either was way, it sucks to yeah. walk six miles. Six miles. And and not like six paved road miles. No, like not you had to six go through, miles. You had to go through creeks, ponds, you know, wilderness. It's Louisiana, so who knows what critters you're about. And then my last one, because I just finished reading Cast, and there was a chapter. I didn't write the person's name down. Oh my god! <laughs> the great, <laughs> the great hands uh, up. But, but I wrote baseball in America, missing out on so much black talent. Oh yeah. Yes. Because there was the entire chapter about how many great. I mean, there were a lot of great base, black baseball players, and was so overwhelmingly white that it could have been so much better if you had all of the people that were good at baseball playing. Yes. And they, the, I think very recently the baseball hall of fame announced that they were going to incorporate the Negro league statistics into the hall of fame. Oh, really? Isn't that white of them? Yeah. But it, you know what that, okay. I'll save it for my bad reheatable because I just off my dome. Oh, well, that um, that was all of mine. So if you want to go into that. Okay. So just off, I just thought of it is, is baseball and how if you look at baseball now, it is not as diverse as it used to be. Although there are uh, players of color, but they mostly come from um, like the Caribbean <laughs> islands and stuff. And so. Satchel Paige, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they look up Satchel Page and what he did and how long his career lasted, and it is it it is a shame. It's like exactly what you said. Like we as Americans got uh um like bamboozled out of one of the greatest athletes. Well, of all didn't time. they? I mean, because they let him play when he was like 40 something. I think he was older than that. And he was still so good. Yeah. And he was, and even he was like, yeah, like if I'd been able to do this in my prime, mm-hmm. <laughs> you imagine. Yeah. He, and yeah there was, you don't even was, know. Yeah. Something came up on my social media today about a, a player and of course I don't remember his name but the um, the black people called him called Babe Ruth the white whatever his name because the white people called him a black Babe Ruth because he was such a slugger Hank no it wasn't Hank Aaron it's like you it was don't, you way don't before Hank Aaron um, but yeah. Josh Gibson yes it was good, go- good job Good God, good job. 
Yeah, so it's interesting because now they're like, well, where is that baseball pipeline? Because baseball used to be, like, baseball has a problem in that its audience is getting older, and especially in America and stuff. I mean, it's still pretty popular in these, you know, Caribbean countries and Spanish-speaking places. But they, they pointed out, it's like, look, it takes... All of a sudden, like baseball used to be like stickball and you would play in Brooklyn and the streets and stuff. And now it's like, well, no, these kids fields, it's it's prohibitive. It's cost prohibitive. It's the same thing as soccer in America, how we have we could have the greatest soccer team. And there's so much untapped resources. But this game that all the other places in the world, all you need is a ball, which can be made out of trash, just strung together. And kids duct- just play barefoot. And some great duct tape. And some great duct tape. But in America, these sports where all like poor kids play and stuff, it's so cost prohibitive that, you know, because you need a field. Where are you going to find a field in urban settings? And then they, you know, they rent out the field. And of course, that goes to people with money and the people with money and they, they play it. So all of these athletes and stuff, like that's why there aren't a lot of um, young black American baseball players. Not like there used to be. It's it's just very interesting. And if they are going to play, I mean, a, a lot of kids are great at many sports. So maybe go out for football or well, th- um, that's another thing. That's the sad. That's one of the saddest things is that the people who end up playing football, which is a violent, uh, violent sport, and is like it's basically turning into a gladiator type situation where this is if you are in an area of the United States where it's basically the the nineteen thirty three version of sharecropping. You know, where if you're in an inner city. You know, you kind of transplant what what the what Nathan Lee's family was going through, and now put it in an urban setting, and working all these jobs, not being able to put money on the table despite working three jobs. You know, like never seeing your kids, but still not being able to put food and feed them. The way out of that situation, as far as like athletics goes. The most lucrative one, because the people that make the most money are soccer and baseball players. Yeah. But, but we've already said, like, that's, you need to pay money to get into these clubs and to be seen yeah. and that kind of thing in America. Which is crazy for soccer. You don't need any equipment. Right. But the way that the, 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 the American soccer structure is set up is that it is very suburban because they made it into these leagues and these traveling things. Mm-hmm. And you have to be seen. And what they should be doing is what they do into when they go to places like the Dominican Republic and like Puerto Rico, like looking for baseball talent, like they should be going into these um, cities yeah. and finding these, finding these Russell Westbrooks and being like, um, here, why have you thought about playing soccer? And you're pretty like, right. no, I haven't thought about playing soccer. And then show them how much soccer players make and be like, yeah, but then it's like, but you're going to have to deal but with racism. soccer players. Uh, yeah. Well, true. It's all sports, though. Like, I was just listening to that um, interview with Simo Emanuel, who is an Olympic swimmer, who Mm -hmm. is amazing. And she was talking about how, like, she'll be, like, people, like, she's a black swimmer, and they'll be like, well, why don't you do track? Or, like, and she's like, yeah, I could have done track, but, like, I like swimming. Like, swimming is what I like. And, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you don't see a lot of me, but I'm going to break that 
mold, but yeah. they just expected her to be like a track star or a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Might be the first, not going to be the last. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be really sad with football because more people of means are going to be like, I don't want my kid to be running into yeah. things. And so then you're it's going to be left with the kids that don't have, like, this is their way out. So it's gonna it's exactly. gonna it's gonna turn real gladiator style. And right. what is that gonna uh, say? Yeah, it's Today, fun to watch. Because... I don't think I would ever let a, my child play football. Oh my gosh, have you? Okay, when I was growing up, I loved watching NFL films, and there's a new Thirty for Thirty Al Davis versus the NFL, and it shows the old like from the seventies and stuff. And now you watch it, and it's just like, oh my god, it because was violent. Helmets. There was no helmets. People were just on purpose Ugh. putting their heads and like just like it. there was a reason why you you were considered a hero if you would go across the middle because people would and this is my new favorite saying, unfortunately, you would get your neck knocked loose. <laughs> but even if you but even with helmets, every time I see that, I just see the brain scans and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Your husband one time went up to catch in high school, catch a pass, and ended up the top of his helmet hit the ground. And I thought, uh, is this the end? And he popped up and just went back to whatever, but it was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. But he was so good. He was real real good. good. I know. And I'm sure it would be hard. Like, you want. Yeah. But he would have been really good at any sport that he played. He would would have been good at soccer. He would have been good at baseball. He just would have been good at anything. He would have. Shit. Well, she played soccer or baseball. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they they tried to get him on the baseball team. Nick Rogers, his friend, was um, on baseball. And they kept trying, like being the pinch pinch hitter, whatever it was. Like the runner, like the base runner? Yeah, the base runner. Yeah, you don't even have to hit the ball. All you have to do is run for the Duke. But he, yeah, he was not interested in that. All right. So my the rest of my negative reheatables. Um, oh, that's where we were. Yes. <laughs> we are. Woo. Remember when, the, you know, the Mrs. Boatman, she went in and it was a whole thing about finding out where Nathan Lee went. And then the yeah. sheriff kind of like, you know, pulled his cast card and then mm-hmm. left her in the room. But he left her in the room with the filing cabinet open. So I was like, oh, he's just like playing the tough guy. But he but then he comes back in and it's like, no, he's just a dumbass motherfucker. Exactly. It's like, no, oh. he didn't know that there was no kindness toward this family at all. And then remember when Rebecca, when she sends David Lee to go um, find out, like, hey, go find out when your dad's coming home. I know. Just go find him. Um, Here's a map. Yeah. But remember she told him specifically, don't, like, only stay at a church or the railroad. Don't stay at anybody's house. And... I was like, oh, man, he's going to stay at somebody's house. But I instantly thought that, like, don't stay in anybody's house meant don't stay in anybody White's house. White, yeah. Because, <laughs> but but I was like, no, she said anybody. So, you know, in my quote, sarcastic quote, post-racial mind is like, oh, 
he's yeah she said anybody's house because yeah anybody could be a child molester and so then when he met the teacher i was like oh no oh no i know but, mama told you not to go in that house but i guess it was like anybody white's house like you could stay with the teacher i don't know maybe not they never really addressed well, that. Well, it's not a good idea on a whole to stay in a stranger's house. Well, it's not a good idea as a whole to send your son out in the to Louisiana to go to a work camp and to see where... I'm like, they're just going to take him and make him start working. Yeah. Like, you can't trust these people, Rebecca. Um, The whole sharecropper 1933 lifestyle is why I am not a camping person. <laughs> Nor is your father. I have been <laughs> camping and it, it is just one. I'm not saying that I will never do camping again, but I just know that I am not a camping person because I just picture myself and then an ancestor of mine looking at me like, you chose this? <laughs> And I have, I, like, what am I going to say to them? Like, we had to do this shit. You are choosing to do this. That's right. what my my dad was always, he wasn't a camper either. We're like, but you're in the army. And he's like, they pay me to camp. And I, I always remember that. Hmm, they pay me to camp. I see. My, my um, idea of camping is any hotel or motel where there isn't room service. <laughs> That's my camping. <laughs> Basically, the Red Roof Inn in outside of Philadelphia, where we could not even put our bags on the bed before we had to leave. (laughs) And we looked at each other and said, yep, we're going to pay $450 for a night (laughs) in a bougie hotel in downtown Philadelphia. Damn straight. Yes, we are. We are gonna we are gonna scrape together every nickel, dime, and penny we have. And they treated those dogs like they were royalty. There you go, my girl. Um okay, I thought that this was okay, Ma. Okay. He his family gets caught uh taking a pig from somebody to feed his family. I believe in the 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 book the Weber family legend has it on your side of the family. Yeah, because I am Weber on both sides. But Weber is like Smith in Germany, so I've it's been true. told. <laughs> and I ain't one. That's it that's at least that's the, story we're telling. That yeah. is the story we're telling. <laughs> that is the story we are telling. So on <laughs> your maternal, I believe, Weber side. It was my maternal. Um, came from royalty. The youngest daughter, though, yes. fell in love with the chauffeur, which was... The coachman. Okay, that's... Okay. Because coachman was before a, a motor car as a chauffeur. Okay. Oh, okay. So the... That's the, my understanding. A chauffeur of horses, yes. if you will. And the that, stable... Dude. The stable boy. Yeah. He's probably smoking hot because he was a stable boy. And she was like, <laughs> He had to be. She was like, Yep, I, I'm giving all of this up because her family did not. Uh, no. they, they were like, Approve. No, no, they, they, this, these are two casts. What are you doing? So they yes. got they got kicked out. And then she had family. She couldn't afford to feed the family. So she was hunting rabbits on the king's land, got caught. What was her punishment? <laughs> 
Well, she was able to live and she was able to leave the country. That's why they left the country. America! She got to America. go to America. That was her punishment. I thought yeah. this, this guy gets caught hunting and he has to go be go back to being a slave. These people get caught hunting on the king's land. Like, you get to go to America. <laughs> well, yeah, because they were, they were all, I mean, if you looked at Hitler's Germany, I don't know that my family would be considered pure Aryan because there was my, okay. So, um, what your blonde I, blue-eyed mother wouldn't be considered <laughs> No, I was thinking, then I was going to my father's side where, with the Hungarian, but, um, okay, moving on. They were white, so yeah, she didn't get killed. Yes, she didn't get killed, but then as it plays out further, so they come to America, you know, you had a nice life. If you go back, and I think like one of your cousins looked into it and stuff, did not go real well for royalty in that part no, of the country, so... It's kind. Of, it's like, oh man, look at look at that! You gotta come up by stealing. <laughs> yeah, at least she was hunting rabbits, not possum. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet that, I bet that raccoons probably taste better than rabbits. Well, I'm thinking. He, well, I'm no, thinking he did raccoons get, are above possums. Rabbits are above raccoons. Yeah, but he got. But hold on, we're we're burying the lead here. He got in jail because he stole ham. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. You know, he didn't steal like rabbits. So he was like, go big or go home. Yeah, he he didn't steal lean meat. Yeah, he went with the ham. And so then my final bad reheatable transitions into a good reheatable. So I will just leave it with the note that I left, which was, why was it called Sounder? That was my final bad reheatable. But I'll address it when I get to my good reheatables. So there we'll, you have it. We'll go into well, your good you want to go? Now. Why don't you go now? All right. It was called Sounder because the book, the author of the book was a white man and the book was basically about, the only character in the book that had a name was Sounder and it was about Sounder and in the movie, what we know as David Lee and their relationship. Right. The When it was adapted, the screenwriter, um, I, believe, I think it was Elder, he at, few, at first refused to the project. He was like, nah, nah, I'm good. But it was Martin Ritt and the producer who were like, no, we really want you to do the adaptation. So he changed a lot of it and he added stuff into it. Like the baseball game, that was added in. Um, when, when David Lee goes to, like he basically took, like made it center on the family and not on the dog. Oh, oh okay. You know, he, and so, and that, um, I think that that's interesting because it kind of goes into the thing of not so much like allowed to, but it, it is why who's telling the story matters. And remember mm -hmm. last week when we were talking about the whiz and how I'm like, this was Joel Schumacher and like, you can have right. the best intentions possible, but you're going to kind of miss some of the stuff and that's why i think that this movie i was so pleasantly surprised by it because of the just the nuances of it like the having the baseball scene like these are people who work so hard and then to see them be able to play so hard and have fun and have joy and right. you know 
yes, there is that oppression that is always on them. And then when he goes to, you know, to the teacher and the books that she's giving, that's where he learned about um, Harriet Tubman. He learned mm-hmm. about W.E.B. Du Bois. Like, it's, it's just these little nuances and stuff that I think make it so much better where you're just like, oh, that's why it matters of having another voice in the room to just mm. add these layers to it. So you're like, yeah, that, that okay, yeah, that is true. Um, the fact that Sounder lived. You're welcome. I, mean, I really, I thought I yeah. did. It's just like, oh, um women like all women and but specifically because we're talking about this movie like just black women just taking care of shit and getting everything done like she had to do the laundry for her family then the laundry that she was doing for miss boatman that had to be and may we say this is louisiana in the summer yes Hot. hot she's taking care of three kids so she you know she's like loving them She's also cooking to feed them. Then she's planting, working in the field, then harvesting. Then her. Then she also has the time to bake a cake from scratch for her husband on a wood stove. With some mighty nice looking icing. All by hand. Never complaining. Like just just taking just taking care of shit. Like the husband goes off and she's like, all right, well, I guess. And that, you know, that it's just that thing of like, well, what needs to be done? All right, I'm going to do it. Just. Whew. All right. Thank goodness this didn't happen to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have just been a puddle on the floor. Destitute. Just destitute. <laughs> I just. Uh, Aaron, yeah. get out there and sell your body. Yeah. Adam, get out there and sell your body. <laughs> No, Adam, go sell your sister's body. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, the production design, how and they were influenced by depression era photography. So just like all the sweat stains, as somebody who like oh, yeah. teeny sweats, I'm like, that is a legitimate sweat stain. That is when how she sweat got to goes. town carrying that cake and the back of her dress was completely wet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the soundtrack and the score. Yes. I, I think I have some of that in the Tasty Nuggets. Oh my, got already shouted out my main man, Alexander Dumas. I mean, The Count of Monte Cristo is a fascinating and so appropriate and great quarantine read for these for these pandemic times. It's great and oh, it's so much fun. So when you're finished, you're going to pass it on, right? I am, but it is, you have to get dial into the, the pattern of what it took me like a while to be like, what, what, but now that, and I, I, it's one of those things where when I struggle, I read it out loud very slowly, <laughs> but I am, I've, okay. I've gotten into the story and all of it. And I'm just, I'm just fascinated at my Edmund Dante's. I'm like, what's he going to do next? Um, reusable grocery bags look at her mm. on top of it yeah ahead of your time mm-hmm. do you guys still use them in brooklyn because they don't want us to use them here because of the spreading of COVID. Mm. 
Well, I oh, have... well, you have to technically you're supposed to bag your own. So... Bag your own. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think like eh, you're not supposed to like like I won't touch somebody else's like at mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. If somebody gives me their bag, I say I can't touch that, but you can use it. Oh, okay. But at our grocery store uh, where we go, we always use our reusable ones, but they just scan the groceries and throw them down the thing, and then I bag them. Then you just bag them. Okay. I don't want to brag, but I'm a very I'm very good at bagging groceries. Oh, I... that does not surprise me. Adam could attest to that. I'm very organized and. I'm very good at getting like the heavy things on the bottom and good girl. As someone who has not been to a grocery store in coming up on a year now, um, I do appreciate the expert baggers. And I, I do feel that the bagging game has... It is, it is, and not everybody has it. Yeah. Even the professionals don't have it. But I have noticed... On a good day when I can get it right... All of the refrigerated things will be in one bag. All the produce that is not refrigerated in another bag. All of my cans and other things in another one. And usually there's one with like bread and eggs and stuff that I have to mm-hmm. carry. That's that's good. Yes. Well done. Yes. Um, let me see. Oh, I already mentioned, yeah, because the scriptwriter was a black man. So he changed it to the, the family's daily struggle for survival let's see um i don't this is one of those just i don't know if it's good or bad like it's definitely just a sign of the time so i didn't know where to like the oh this is appropriate for now but it's not necessarily a good thing that it's appropriate for now you know like sharecropping it sucked but don't we still have sharecropping because, yes. you know, you look at the, just in the form, terms of minimum wage, mm-hmm. people, you can't afford to put food on your no. table for minimum no. wage no. at all. Yeah. And the That's fact that, true. that, you know, he wasn't able to put food on his family, feed his family, and you could never say that he was lazy, and that was the no. reason why. It was just that it was unscrupulous. And... That got me thinking about how in 1933, because there is a scene where David Lee is walking and he walks past, I don't know if his it's his landowner, but it's definitely like a white person's house because it's super nice. And and then when he goes later to, to into the teacher's house and he's like, wow, you have a really nice house. He's not seeing... Like, that's him seeing, like, how poor he is. Right. And in those times, like, oh, you wouldn't necessarily know how poor you were because right. you couldn't see it. And I kind of wonder, though, about now, because now you can see how poor you are. Because everybody has social media and everybody right. can see it and, like, oh, th- I don't have that. And or... If you don't have social media because you don't even have a phone, that is an indication right. of how poor you are. And it and I just wonder what is gonna be what's gonna be the, the outcome and the consequence of when uh, people can look around and see how poor they are compared to other people. 
because it seemed like it was easier then to keep people to keep that cast where they That's are yeah. because you, yeah. you they wouldn't have anything they're like oh well we have like they that family had love and they had when they could have food and stuff but now it's kind of like yo the cat might be out of the bag if everybody is looking and like i don't have that i don't do you have that i don't have that i don't have that and i'm working three jobs like i, I don't know it's gonna be interesting yeah so those okay, are Okay, those are all of your positives? Yes. Christine, would you like to go? Yeah, I had the country. Mm-hmm. Because, well, I would not, I don't know. Some days I'm like, oh, that would be nice to live in the country. You know, just run free on the land and the dogs just go whatever. But it's just nice sometimes. I don't know. The country, sometimes, it's nice. I'm I probably I will never, but you know, I like to visit. That's right. I I might I like to go to an Airbnb. I'm, you know, we have some vacation time we have to use by April. Oh, clearly we can't go anywhere, like to visit people. But I'm like, well, maybe we could find an Airbnb in the country. Mm-hmm. We could just not here. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Just land in you my my thing about the country i love the idea of the country and the outdoors but i have uh, i don't like the unexpected creatures of the country (laughs) so whoppers (laughs) um sounder i mean Come on. Good dog. A good dog. Didn't he remind you of the dog from um that show? Remember that the, the oh, show? Oh yeah. The pack. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I have a I have a tasty nugget. Okay. Dogs running free. Yes. When they said I mean they were like sort of unconcerned. Except for what was the kid's name? David Lee. David. Except for David, everyone else like gave no shits that Sounder was gone. Exactly. Shot and then like went like ran away, and everyone was like, "Ah, he'll come back when he's ready, when he's healed." But I was walking Tommy the same day I walked the watched the movie, and this man on the corner was like, "Ah, they hate the leash, don't they?" And I was like, "I I mean, what?" And he was like, "Ah, yeah, they hate the leash." I was like, okay, like, I guess. Um, he was like, yeah, I used to have a pit bull. I would just let him roam free. I never had him on a leash. He just ran all around the park. Then I was like, man, Tommy used to just live in the Bahamas. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. he was a free dog. And now we walk him on a leash. But, I mean, he doesn't seem to mind all that much. But Because he's happy. Yeah, I think he's happy. He meals every day. But if we lived on an island where we fed him every day and he could just like roam free i mean what a life that's yeah. how, that's what i want that <laughs> it's just me yeah. and tommy me too you I'm can gonna, move in with tommy you want to put me on a leash okay <laughs> <laughs> we'll walk you on a leash like once every other day um we'll get you the harness so it doesn't hurt your neck oh nice I also had the sweat when she like was wearing that dress and the back sweat. I was like, Oh wow. I really, mm-hmm. yes. And those were mine. 
I had the love of dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Boatwright, when she actually went against uh, her her white judgment and helped them out, but it turned out to be a bust anyway. Oh, was that when she went and she was like, I'm sorry, I can't. And she basically did the, you can't say I didn't try. And then she yeah. leaves and yeah. then she comes back with a map because like, I guess you didn't try hard enough and you knew yeah. it. Cause even exactly. when she said that, I was just like, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I did what I could. Hey. hey. Um, okay. Especially in this point in time, teachers, so we see Miss Johnson in those few clips where she is not just a, a dispenser of knowledge. She also has to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. She she also has to be a social worker. You know, teachers are not, yeah, especially now. I mean, teachers are having such a rough time. Well, wouldn't it be interesting to say that the teachers now are like, what black teachers used to be before when schooling was segregated and you know because they were like all right well i know what the situation like she didn't even say like well who are you where did you come from it was just Uh like a son a person he this boy came in and she's like well he's here let me see your hand that you can come in you can be like do the knowledge like she's basically doing everything in the triage and she's not like oh no this isn't in my job because she knows that it's for the further advancement of her people and she knows like what's it's up against but if he had walked into that white teacher's classroom saying i need my hand fixed she was said, get out of here i'm doing this now mm-hmm. so um what you know what's interesting um, just to bring up, not making like a judgment either way, but that that is one of those unintended consequences. So when the schools got integrated, one of the unintended consequences was that black teachers, uh, big surprise, they didn't get hired as much. Yeah, they so lost their jobs. A whole bunch of we lost a whole bunch of black educators who had this background in. Uh, sort of like this triage education of just like I'm used to doing everything I'm just my goal is to just form these minds that are going to be up against the toughest circumstances and to try to do the best that I can with what's available um and that like we just lost a, a whole bunch of that and that's a great into the Shirley Chisholm what could have been kind of thing and and her classroom how she had them you know thinking critically like a a child would just tell a story and then the kids would come in with well you didn't say who the who the their names and you didn't do Mm -hmm. i mean critical thinking back then uh, yeah it was really good because like for you know not, not to to say that it isn't for you know like white teachers and stuff but just that's something that she knew that those kids needed to have right, and needed right. to like that is a it's not a, a oh that'll be nice for a job skill that could be the difference between them life and death like being able right. to take in all of that information and know like okay i you know don't smile at that white woman <laughs> like you know exactly it, you could be killed and family just oh yeah family because oh. i do miss my family 
But my one of my greatest reheatable is, and it's one of the greatest on caught on film, is the reunion scene. Cause when yes. Sounder doesn't bark and he was he like stopped barking and then he just starts barking and he like goes, oh my gosh, it's just uh, oh, it, did it get dusty in here? Go ahead, Christine. But because the cinematographer wasn't sure he got the shot because he was verklempt with with that and then they had to do it a couple more times and then when he looked he had gotten the shot the first time and it was the best one so now we're ready for quotables i did a few mm-hmm. um i have you show is crazy acting woman sometimes miss boatwright others uh oh wow you know, son, there ain't no dog as good as Sounder. That's true. Yeah. Although, <clears throat> I take umbrage with that because I know of two that are better than Sounder, so. Maybe Chandler. Three. I know of Chandler. Four, oh, I, I guess. Four. Well, I guess if we're doing that, then I know of four. So. <laughs> <laughs> who are you two now? Now I need to know who your two were. Well, I ha- the two were Mac and Tommy. Yeah, I knew she was going with present day. And then you went brought in Chandler, and I'm like, well, oh, okay. Sparky's getting grandfathered <laughs> into that. Cause... I only know of Chandler. Um, Chandler. He's the only one I can confirm was better than Sounder. <laughs> I also have, you lose some of the time what you always go after, but you lose all of the time what you don't go after. Exactly. Basically, you, take a, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yep. That's a good quote for the for the. Oh, will somebody send I'm... it to me then, please? Okay. Yeah. Uh, after the guard cut the cake, and he brought it to his dad, and he said, "Well, a few little knife holes ain't gonna destroy the soul she put into this cake." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just somebody sent me an article the other day about how baking for other people can be good for depression, and I was like, "Oh, that's why I do it." Yeah. Oh. Interesting. And Adam just reaps the rewards. Yeah. I had an interesting baking situation today. I did. Cre- I do create a bake, and I'm. I'm like, well, it's just for me. So if it's horrendous, nothing in here could kill me. So it'll be fine. Um. And I'm gonna miss this old raggedy place, but I sure ain't gonna worry about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which I kind of feel like he was lying. How are you not going to worry about it? Like every harvest, you're just going to be like, how much? And especially when he goes off and gets more educated and realizes more and more just how like messed up it is and the system. And it's just it's just so sad that, that, that he has to go away. And because he really yeah. is helping his family. Like that's the, the way. But in order for him to to climb out because like we've said it before on other podcasts you know the black middle class didn't come about from sharecropping you, you know they, right. he would have to go the great migration get to education maybe becomes a pullman porter or mm-hmm. maybe you know maybe he becomes a lawyer or a doctor or something like that but it's just it's just very very sad that that's what needs to happen the mm-hmm. sacrifice that needs to happen um, I have 
when the the teacher the longing of black men must have respect and then she says to him which means a man and a woman are human and must be treated that way so kind of nailed that there and then when mrs boatwright we already mentioned it said well you can't say i didn't try (laughs) 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 which is like you did the bare minimum lady and then she <laughs> and she knew and then she comes back with a map and she's like she don't know the map that she's talking about i knew for sure that oh i get this whole movie is just anxiety inducing for, for me from the beginning from the get-go of just how america has trained me i'm just thinking the worst possible outcomes at every single time so i'm like that ain't even she's deliberate she don't know she's just pretending like she knows where the map is she was going a2 and it's in the middle of the map no a2 is in the middle of a map a2 is up in the top corner somewhere unbelievable listening to her okay lvp okay go ahead well, mine is the whole cast system and sharecroppers just couldn't ever get ahead. That was mine! The cast <laughs> system of the United States of America! Yeah, yeah. Well, I went different away. Let's go. <laughs> I said the prison guard for cutting all the holes in that damn cake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like being so rude and the boy, and like he was just trying to visit his dad, being like, "All right, it's been enough." Like, he could have let the wife gone in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just being a dick. Yeah, but he... yeah, for just being a dick. <laughs> I yeah, I man, I and he didn't just like cut a hole. No, like he was just like jamming the hole. Thing in the cake but he probably he might have made the cake unintended consequences might have made it better because then the icing got to get down into it so then it could have become like a nice little like you know hostess kind of cupcake situation lava cakey kind of thing but a few little knife holes ain't gonna destroy the soul she put in the cake is something i do live by because the amount of holes i have to put into my <laughs> cake to determine if it's done <laughs> Yes. That is so true. Okay, well, let me try here. Yeah. What, what about that here? Not done, and I see a little bit. It says clean, but I don't have a toothpick. I only have a cake tester, so. Yeah, and the, it's not about, as someone who, if anybody has seen the way that my apple pies come out, I always say, well, you ain't, what, what do I say? What is it? I'm like, well, like, I don't know. I, I had a clever. Something about it. it it's, it's how it tastes, not how it looks. Yeah. It's like, well, it's a, yeah, you're, you're, you're eating it. Like, you know, like, who Don't cares take what a it picture looks of like? It. Yeah. Put it in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay, MVPs. I have a runner-up. Mm-hmm. He knew that the pond water wasn't good enough to clean that cut. So he went to that school and was able to get it properly taken care of. Mm. Otherwise, he was going to die of typhus or something. <laughs> yeah, he's going to lose that hand. But my MVP, <clears throat> surprise, surprise, is education. Mm. My 
teacher was the runner-up MVP. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Always the runner-up. Never good enough, I know. <laughs> um, and my MVP is the man. Uh, the dad. He was my MVP because he like, was just trying to do everything he could to make sure his family was taken care of. He stole the food. But he also, like, you know, he didn't want to... He didn't want his son to visit visit him again in jail. Mm-hmm. And he was trying, like... He wanted so hard to see his, like, wife and his kids from... Like, when he was trying to, like, climb up to see outside. Right. Um, and he... And then when he got back home and, like... The son wanted to go away to school, and immediately he just said, okay, come on, let's get in the car. We're going to get you some clothes to go to school. Like, you're going to go to the school. Um, I just loved him so much. Yeah. Did, did you ever think he that he had gotten shot escaping, and that's why his leg was messed up, and then they were going to come back and get him? Or is this just the trauma that no, America has done to no, me? No, but the, the other reason why I loved him so much was that he kicked the guy who was going to shoot Sasser. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which could have gotten him then being strange for Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And he, he knew there was going to be a consequence to stealing that food. I mean, he knew it. And he was willing to do it. He was willing to spend that year of hard labor so that his... They needed some food. He had he did what he had to do, and he took the. I mean, he didn't even speak for himself at the trial because he knew it was a done deal. Mm-hmm. But I did what I had to do, and then he came back to them, and he has a bad leg, but he's still gonna continue to work the farm and do what he has to do. But his kid is gonna get an education, which leads to my MVP. The whole reason that he's able to come back to anything at all is because of Rebecca. Yeah, <laughs> I know. She, yes. like, okay, uh, all right, I guess I'll harvest all this sugar cane myself with this ch- child and two other children. And yeah, I'll take care of it. No worries. I got it. <laughs> no problem. I'm making all of this sugar. No- nothing, nothing these slender age-defying shoulders can't handle. But she also got a few digs in. Like when she went to the store and it was like, yeah, well, you know, with all the money we owe you. So Mm -hmm. she she got her digs in where she could because she... As respectively as she could because it is that line of She couldn't be taken away too because then the whole family would have been kaput. Mm Yeah. Okay. Well, I did not do a recasting because I did not do a recasting. I did a recasting on the fly because I was unawares because, you know, my uh, great-great-grandparents were sharecroppers. I had no idea that two-thirds of sharecroppers were white. But I've never I, heard that before. Made sense. So just I just off the top of my head, I was like, all right, well, the recasting, Rebecca will go with well, I guess I'll go with Nathan Lee. A nice, nice Welsh actor, Matthew Reese. That's Nathan Lee. Oh, I do love Matthew Reese. Using the Americans and Perry Mason. Yeah. 
I didn't do a, a David Lee because I don't. I, yeah, I feel weird about as, child as we actors. Yeah. Said. Yeah. Um, and so then for my Rebecca, I went with Rebecca Hall <laughs> because we were talking about her before the podcast. And she she's an actress and she's directed this new movie that's coming out called Passing. And um, come to find out, her mother is a black woman who, I guess, like, passed in her life. And I thought that, like, just the heads that are going to be exploding, trying to just wrap their minds around, like, just all of that is, I mean, it just was, like, giddy. And so that's my recasting. Outstanding. So we are to Tasty Nuggets. <clears throat> I have one already. Of course, it's about Sounder. So Sounder was a mix of a red bone hound and bulldog, oh, a red bone coonhound. The red bone coonhound is a strong, elegant looking dog with long hanging ears and a shiny, smooth red coat. An affectionate, even-tempered hound. It loves being with people, including children, and has a strong desire to please. Oh. And while I am a little resistant to all of these, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes when you describe dog breeds, it's like describing a person based on their race. It could just be like a lot of the times they're a product of where they came from or, you know, how they were raised or their environment around them. But, Mm -hmm. you know. Here we go. Um, a born hunter, the red bone is agile, alert, and persistent, and possesses amazing stamina. A natural treeing instinct makes it an expert coon hound. Among the red bone's few faults are its habit of treeing pet cats as if they were raccoons <laughs> and a tendency towards excessive drooling. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Um, it's also... so. Uh, Sounder was also part bulldog. So the bulldog is small, wide, and muscular. It has a thick, massive head with a squashed-looking muzzle and round, staring eyes. It tends to waddle on its stocky legs. Although it may look scary, the bulldog is gentle, affectionate, and courageous. Extremely loyal. It's a good guard dog. To be happy, it requires a lot of attention from its human family. Like the Redbone, the bulldog has a tendency to drool and slobber. Oh, so that... I didn't see that much slobber from Sounder. I didn't, but sometimes it only comes when they eat. <laughs> and we didn't get to see Sounder eat too much. We didn't get to see him, no. And that was my only tasty nugget. Good one. Um, um, okay, so like I said before, Elder the Third, he refused at first, but the producer and director convinced him and quote, I wanted to keep Sounder accurate in its historical context and not go off on any personal present-day fantasies. Um, the minister is real, and the judge is real. They were real ministers and real judges. Oh, okay. Um, Taj Mahal, the soundtrack that Taj Mahal did, music journalist Robert Criscow said it's, quote, the first soundtrack ever patterned after field recordings. And field recordings is any recording that's produced outside a recording studio so it kind of gave it that Uh um that authentic kind of feel to it right right like it was right there Mm -hmm. this movie had an innovative market strategy a field 
a study guide was produced um and i think it was like produced by a guy who was like at nyu and in the african-american studies stuff like to have a study guide and the producer went to 35 cities and they did the whole group sales thing the catholic film office endorsed it so they really put a bunch of money behind getting kids to see this and showing like oh this is a great movie it has great things to say it cost less than a million dollars to make and it made 17 million dollars so i guess i guess all of the black people (laughs) according to variety (laughs) 17 million times Uh uh-huh it had four academy award nominations so it was nominated for best picture best actor best actress and best adapted screenplay this is the first film ever with two Oscar-nominated black actors in it. Um, for Best Picture... Okay, so Best Adapted Screenplay, it lost to The Godfather. Best Actor, uh, Paul Winfield lost to Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Best Actress, Cicely Tyson lost to Liza Minnelli, Cabaret. And Cabaret. But you, I mean, Jeez ties into... She's the daughter of Judy Garland... And we did The Wiz and The Wizard of Oz, our two previous. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, oh, man, the synchronicity. That is what Gone with the Bushes brings you. I know. And the best picture, of course, was The Godfather. Um, we already mentioned there was a sounder part two, and only Taj Mahal was the only cast member that reprised <laughs> his role. Um, I noticed at the end that Mattel... The Mattel Toy Company partnered in the development of this. So, I know. Yeah, just weird. <clears throat> um, I don't think they had Rebecca action figures. I Yeah, I don't think they did either. And in the book, um, when Sounder gets shot, in the book, Rebecca's like, yeah, animals go off to die. And, you know, in the movie, she was like, oh, he's just going to go off and heal and then he's going to come back. Okay, that's all I thought was, oh, animals go off to die. Yeah. Yeah. She says that in the in the book. From Marley and me. And Sounder might have gone off to die, but then went, you know, not today. Not today. Um, The director took an 80 percent pay cut to do this movie. Coretta Scott King said <clears throat> David Lee reminded her of um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Remember when we saw Coretta Scott King in the airport? Oh my gosh, she was the most elegant woman I've ever yes, seen in was. real life. And she was putting on her red lipstick. I was just like, oh my gosh. It was like seeing royalty. It was. We saw her in person. And, like, and Ma almost got arrested because, you know, our dad's like, our dad's like, be cool, be cool. And, it, and this was, you know, this was before, you know, 9-11, before all of that stuff. So, you know, you're at the, I think we were there just to, to pick up Babs or something. So Probably. there was a wall of, of pay phones when there used to be pay phones. And she was sitting at like one of those high like bar things, but that was looking out into the, the hallway. And, you know, she was she had she had men around her who were definitely bodyguards and she was just all done up and she was putting on her lipstick and you know, she had just eaten a little something. And and, you know, my dad was like, that's Coretta Scott. And so we're you know, we're being cool. And she tells my mom, like, be cool. 
My mom walks over to the payphone that's directly in front of her, picks up the payphone, and just turns around with the biggest <laughs> eyes to just look. And my dad's like, oh, you're not, that is not the definition of being cool. That is exactly the opposite of what I told you to do. Looked like, like, it was just like, could it get tackled by security at any moment? You know, I got a good look at her. <laughs> yeah. The book... Sounder won the Newbery Award. So I looked up what exactly does that mean? The Newbery Award is named after John Newbery. It's a literary award for the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. Oh, so so that's a huge award. And um, I've used where children fit into all of this, but well, I mean, I've been letting it slide the whole time. <laughs> well, it was it's it was a young adult book, so it was, yeah. Well, that I still don't see it. Okay, um, and I I know the Caldecott Award books. They have they have a gold medal. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, a gold insignia on the book covers, and those are for a distinguished contribution in picture books. Mm. So uh, it's, <laughs> Which it sounds about right for the family. <laughs> we know well, I was the a, picture I was books. Very familiar with the picture books. Then. <laughs> Early elementary school teacher. So those were mine. Sounder. Um, okay, next week. Oh, that's me. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of thoughts. This is why I was late today. Oh. Yeah. So at first, I thought I had it. When I texted you the other day. Yeah, you took te- Teeny you texted said, us yeah. early and was like, oh, my gosh, I picked a perfect movie. I got it. And she's like, oh, man, okay. Well, it's because I finished reading Cast. And on the very last page of her acknowledgments. Oh, you read the acknowledgments? Yeah, I read the acknowledgments. You don't read the acknowledgments? No, I'm so proud of myself that I finished the book. you didn't finish the book. I guess I got to go back. So go go back. Um, So Isabel Wilkerson was talking about, like, the things that got her through writing the book and the music she listened to and everything. And one of the things was the soundtrack to the classic French thriller Diva, which is not the movie we're doing. Oh. Um, But she wrote that Diva is one of the first big, one of the few big screen portrayals of a woman of my archetype depicted in ways that some other woman can take for granted, presented as refined and pivotal rather than subordinated stereotype or sidekick. Um, She said, this is a film where I need not dread the woman getting whipped, mocked, hypersexualized, killed off, cast as a servant, or portrayed by a man, a common practice in an industry that long denied black women the chance to portray themselves as they truly are. Diva was the kind of film that perhaps could only be imagined outside of the American cast system. So at first, I was like, we have to do Diva. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's in French. I would like to do it sometime. And at first, I was like, we're going to do Diva. But then I was like, okay, well, there's more movies out there. Let's research them. Um, And so I just started looking at move like, 
I was looking at movies that don't like that don't involve trauma with black people for Black History Month and we're oh. doing all that. Oof. And then Good I was like, look. Well, yeah, I know. And I don't think I necessarily accomplished that, but one that I have <laughs> it's very hard. But one that I came about, uh, it, uh it's called The Watermelon Woman. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We went down a hole. Uh, it's from 1996. Oh, I didn't even let you guess. I'm sorry. I would not have. Anyway. <laughs> so it is the first film by a black lesbian. Oh. And it's a... Okay, it's by Cheryl Dunye, who... I believe has gone on to work on uh, a bunch of things recently that we have watched. She's done episodes of what is that? What's that TV show we were all watching (laughs) recently? Bridgerton? (sighs) No. Uh, Not your honor. No. It had monsters in it. Oh, 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 oh. Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. I think, she, I think she did something with Lovecraft Country also. Um, but it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Uh, and it's about an aspiring black lesbian filmmaker who researches an obscure 1940s black actress. So basically... The plot is she works at a video at a a video rental store and takes place in 1996 and she's been watching this movie that was made in the 1940s and there's a black actress in there that is not in the credits and she's only referred to as the watermelon woman. Wow. Um, but. So she's, like, in the movie, she's making this documentary about this woman, like, trying to figure out more about who she is, but she works at a video store. Yeah, it's... Oh, that sounds good. It's on Showtime. Yeah. And she's the first... She's noted as the first black lesbian to make a film. Excellent. Wow. Erin used to work in a video store. I know. I did. That's where I learned about germs and and how germs transfer and the importance of washing hands and germs and germs and germs. Well, and I'm intrigued because on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 100% on the tomato meter, but the audience score is 54%. Interesting. Uh, That sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, I, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Never heard of it. We'll see. And it's an hour and 30 minutes. Oh, yep. our girl. Mm-hmm. Man. Oh, man. And Cheryl Junior seems to have gone on to do a bunch of things. No, she did a bunch of things. I was looking it up. She did, um, like, yeah, like you said, um, Lovecraft Country. Also, I think Queen Sugar. Um, Get this. She works in a video store in Philadelphia. I wonder, it was probably TLA. That's like the video store in Philadelphia. Wow. Alrighty then. That's where you we'll would see. go. Who knows where we're going? And, and who knows where 
where we will go in the podcast because we do go here and there and back. Who knows? Debbie does Dallas. <laughs> At least we're not doing deep throat. Okay, Yet. that was Sounder this week, Cicely Tyson. And next week, The Watermelon Woman. Well, there you go, listeners. Oh.